Let's pray together, shall we? Father God, we thank you that this is a new day, Lord, and this is a day that you have made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. And we thank you, God, that we get to bring an offering, Lord. We don't have to, we get to. At Sunny Hill, we are get-to people. We get to worship. We get to pray. We get to bring an offering of praise. We get to bring a monetary offering, Lord. And so I just pray in this moment, Lord, as we've been obedient in the offering, Lord, that we would just know your hand of presence and provision in our life, in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Well, it's so good to see you today, and it is especially great for me to have all of my friends and some of the Sunny Hill team here today representing. It really is another level. You know, all my best friends are here. I've got Phil, I've got Adam, I've got Fru, I've got Sophie, and I've got Richard all in this space together today. I'm playing, man. Boom. I'm playing. Jake did score a goal yesterday, and it was a great goal. And I just got a little bit weepy, a bit teary, not because of the goal, but because he took off his shirt. I was like, what is this? What am I doing? Um, but anyways, we hope that you are doing well today at home. We love the fact that you have taken the decision to tune in. And we believe that as you do that, God has a blessing in store for you. How do I know that? Because we're going to open his word. And when we open his word and give our heart to what he's saying to us, we can believe for transformation. We can believe believe for breakthrough. breakthrough. We can believe for encounter and presence. Are you guys ready for that today? And uh, so we're continuing in our series this week, Praying with Fire. And uh, this has been a great series for us because we've been trying to really grapple with the discipline and habit and pattern of prayer. Why? Because I believe we need to be praying more than ever. I don't know what's going on in the world right now. I mean, it is wild. It is crazy outside our front door. You know, everyone's got different kind of conspiracy ideas about what is going on and is this the enemy's attack on the church? Well, the truth is we do need to be discerning. We do need to look at the times and really weigh them against what the scripture says and understand, hey, we are in full blown warfare. And um, whether this is the enemy tactic or not, it's never a bad thing to go to God in prayer and start knocking on the door of heaven. And I believe that we need to do that today. I believe that we need to build that into our lives, this petition and constant, persistent, prayerful patterns that are going to cause heaven to invade earth. And so uh, I'm really going to challenge you today to capture notes, to try and capture something of what God has laid on my heart for you. I'm excited about this word. I think it's a challenging word. But I think if you can just receive it with the heart it's intended, I believe it can provoke you to greater expectation and greater faith. Why? We often say faith is spelled R-I-S-K. I I believe faith is spelled P-R-A-Y-E-R. I believe faith is spelled prayer. If you're not praying, it's because you don't have faith that God can move. I believe that God can move. And so I, as a lead pastor, as a husband, as a father, as a friend, as a colleague, need to discipline myself and say, you know what? Some things may not happen unless the church praise. And so that's the kind of thing we're going to go after today. Sound good? Okay, so we're looking today at prayer that works because I don't want to pray impotent prayers, right? I don't want to pray prayers that don't carry something, don't carry the seed of faith. I want to pray prayers that move heaven and move stuff on earth. And I want you to do the same. That's why we are doing 24-7 prayer as a church because it's relatively easy to do online gathering prayer meetings monthly, bi-weekly, weekly at the 9.30 a.m. But it's another thing to commit yourself as a church to relentless, unceasing prayer of over the course 
course of like however many hours it is in the week, right through the night, right through the day, to actually make it inconvenient and uncomfortable to think I've got to get up at two in the morning and I'm going to be the watchman, I'm going to be the watchwoman of this hour. I'm going to stand on the walls of Sunny Hill and I'm going to start decreeing and declaring words of faith over the church, over my family, over this town and over this nation. So I am buzzing about 24-7 prayer and I hope you are too. But what I want to do is before we jump into that prayer next week is I want to challenge you to start praying prayers that are effective, prayers that get results, okay? So to that end, uh, I don't know whether you were on one of our Facebook pages last week, but Equa put up this. She, she absolutely dropped the mic hard on one of our Facebook groups last week. This is what she said. In heaven, God's power is unlimited, but on earth, God's power is manifested to the degree the church praise. Now, I totally second that, and I go, Equa, you are so right. Not because it sounds good, not because it preaches well, but really when the disciples say, Jesus, teach us how to pray, he gave them this Lord's Prayer, and he says, this is what you pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name is great. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. There is something, an expression of the kingdom that only invades earth when the church, when followers of Jesus rally together in prayer. And so this is why I I have no issue with motivation today. I am so motivated to preach this word because I think so often in the West we're pretty apathetic when it comes to our prayer lives. I believe we kind of hit and miss prayer. We kind of, when I feel like it, when I'm in a good space, after, you know, as a young person, I used to battle with this, after Soul Survivor, read the Bible, pray a little bit. But God is looking for us to surrender the whole of our lives to his cause. It's not just a prayer gathering that happens at 9.30 on Zoom or whenever else it is in the week. It's actually something we say, Jesus, you died so that I could give my whole life to the cause of Christ, so that I could lay down my rights and pick up and understand your kingship. I'm not the king of my heart you're the king of my heart and so Jesus if you're telling me to pray these bold audacious prayers then I'm going to pray them and if you're getting spat on this morning right because I can see in the lights that I am spitting like crazy it's because I'm in full-on Pentecostal mode and um yeah get on a mask right if I wear a mask it'll be soggy at the end I'll have to wring it out right but I, you know, I'm all about taking church online. I think we should have a 5D kind of version where what comes out of your TV screen, <laughs> you know, and, ah, and we start selling kind of those splash suits that you get at Thorpe Park and Alton Towers. Um, but I am so for it today, so get your notebooks ready because I do believe that if you can receive this, it does have the potential to really motivate you when you feel like giving up, okay? So check this out. James 5. James 5. James, brother of Jesus, uh, wrote this letter uh, to Jewish Christians, Jews that had become Christians but had been kind of spread outside of Jerusalem. And the whole of the book and letter really is about keep going when things are difficult. Keep persisting, keep persevering, don't give up. That's really the overarching theme of the letter of James. And then towards the end of the letter, really this is one of the closing passages of James, he says this, are any of you suffering hardships? He says, you should pray. (laughs) I mean, it's pretty instructive. You really struggling right now? You should pray. Are you battling right now? You should pray. Are you battling a diagnosis? You should pray. Are you just battling mental health? You should pray. That's what James is saying. Prayer is a great response 
to struggle, okay? It's always an appropriate response to hardship and difficulty. And I know often our inclination is to moan about it, not to pray about it. But, you know, we know that Paul says, doesn't it? I think it's in Philippians. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, bring your prayers and petitions to God. With thanksgiving, like, bring a sense of thanksgiving. Just keep praying. Are you suffering today, Sunny Hill? Pray. Listen, the nation is on its knees right now. And if James was here in person, he'd be saying, Sunny Hill, you know, if you're struggling, if you've had six months of hardship, difficulty, and there's still a whole heap of unknowns, like that we don't understand what's going on, he'd be saying, Sunny Hill, you've got to pray. You've got to pray. In fact, he says, are any of you happy? He says, you should sing praises. Praises really being the essence of Thanksgiving prayer. Praise is a sense of rejoicing, where we come with an attitude of gratitude. And so James is saying, hey, is life cack right now? You should pray. Hey, is life amazing right now? You should pray. You should praise. You should respond in this sort of way that we come with an overflow of thanksgiving and expectation that God is going to do something. Not just in our rubbish times and our low times, but in the times when we're smashing it, when the sun's shining, when everything's going our way. James said, you've got to pray. He says, are any of you sick? Well, what's his response to this? Go to the doctor? No. Load up the NHS? No. Not that those things are entirely bad. But he says, here's your first response. He says, you should call for the elders of the church to come and pray. Why? Because the elders are the authority of the church. In other words, they bring the spiritual covering to the body of the people. And so he's saying, listen, if you're sick and you're battling with sickness, chase down a pastor, chase down an elder, someone I have anointed to bring breakthrough into the the town that you minister. And so James is saying, hey, if life's great, you've got to pray. If life stinks, you've got to pray. Hey, if you're sick, you've got to get prayer. (laughs) Like literally, pray, 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 pray. And James says, they'll anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord, and such a prayer offered in faith will Heal the sick. Why? Because faith is spelled P-R-A-Y-E-R. You, you, you know, how does faith manifest? Surely it's through the prayers of its believers. It's not just about wishful thinking that good things are going to happen, thinking happy thoughts and going, you know, I've just got a vision, I've got a vision, I've got a vision. Listen, if all you've got is a vision and you haven't got a burden to take it to God in prayer, then you're not necessarily going to see the breakthrough that you're really looking for. Because faith is spelled P-R-A-Y-E-R. He says, verse 15, Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and, it will make, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, this is crazy, you will be forgiven. How do you find forgiveness? Prayer. Confession with brothers and sisters in the Lord. And then prayer. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And so I want to provoke you today. And if you're offended, kind of good. Because I want the word of God to offend you. I didn't write this. This is what God wanted his people to read. Listen, in every season of life, in every sort of obstacle and challenge you face, when things are great, when things are rubbish, you know, when you're healthy, when you're sick. Kind of at the moment, we know on Saturday, we've got Anthony and Joanna getting married. Loving that. Anthony was one of our interns from last year. They're getting married on Saturday. And so me and Louise have been meeting with them for the last couple of weeks and saying, hey, these are the vows that you're going to make to one another. For better, for worse, (laughs) in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, or in my sake to Louise, it was for poorer or even poorer, okay, (laughs) right? And, um, you know, but this is the thing, is like, this is the kind of covenant relationship. God, I'm going to continue to trust you 
when life hurts. I want to continue to seek you when I don't feel like seeking you. And really over the last two weeks, that's what me and Richard have been trying to get to the bottom of when it comes to habits. Because habits are easy when they're fun and when they're easy and when it brings immediate gratification and pleasure. But as soon as it requires a little bit of work, a bit of heavy lifting, and a bit of intentionality and focus, it becomes a lot harder. People may stand for three days, four days with a habit, but I want to provoke you today to understand, hey, if I want to pray a prayer that works, then I've got to come with a different game plan right now in this season, okay? And so James continues, and uh, this is what he says, and this is the thing that just blows my socks off. Not literally, I can't even get my leg up that high. I'm going to fall over. I almost like need a catcher, you know, one of those Toronto catchers just in case as I, as I uh, show my socks. <laughs> okay, right, there we go. My socks are on, but spiritually this blows my socks off because James, James gives us an insight into prayer. And this really underpins, now I'm out of breath trying to show people my socks. This really underpins what James has just said. He says this, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I don't know about you. I want to see wonderful results in my life. I want to see my, my prayers being productive and effective. I want to speak words of prayer where I'm petitioning heaven and I see sick people healed. Like, these aren't, I don't feel, selfish motivations. Like, it, so often, like, in the West, we get caught up in the prosperity gospel. But money is, should be the least of our issue. It should be the least of our pursuit. What we're talking about is broken marriages, like coming together, relational divides, like being sorted, dysfunctional thinking, be corrected. And, and ultimately, in order to see the wonderful results that we so long for, it's about earnest prayers of righteous people. Now, depending on what translation you're reading today, uh, you'll see something different. If you're reading old school King James, I know Jake loves the King James, don't you? He absolutely loves it. Um, it says that the prayers of a righteous person availeth much. In other words, they produce, okay? If you're reading NIV, then it just says the prayer of a righteous person um, is powerful and effective. And it's kind of interesting, right? Because um, in the Greek, it's an absolute jumble. Now, I am no Greek professor, but I was trying to make sense of this verse because I really wanted to tease out. You should do that with the Bible, by the way. You should wrestle with stuff. You should go, God, what are you saying in this? And I was trying to understand, what are the words that James actually uses to try and provoke us? And it's kind of interesting because in the original Greek, there's words like the word that we get energy from, okay? So energy, I don't know how you say it in Greek. I'm not even going to pretend it. But basically, energy's there, focus is there, intentionality is kind of present in the focus thing that James is saying. But like, we also see there, like Latin, when Latin kind of interpreted that same verse, it says daily. Actually, what James is trying to say is that powerful prayers are prayed by righteous people who pray daily. Like regularly. Like, so it's not just about big ambitious prayers of faith that we pronounce. It's about regularity. It's about intentionality. And I think it's kind of important because I don't know if you're like me, but I have the habit of focusing on this word right here. Yeah. Righteous. I've just circled it. Righteous. Like that's, that's what I think we kind of focus on so often. Is that, hey, if I'm just good enough, then maybe God's going to break through. If I can just get a little bit more holy... And there's different words that we use for righteousness, and they're all great, but they all mean something slightly different. And for sure, 
As believers, we should be pursuing righteousness. We should be pursuing right, right thinking and right decision making. We should be doing that. But here, really, James isn't so much talking about your performance as he is talking about your position. In other words, you can't make yourself righteous. You can't make yourself righteous. You can pursue righteousness, but you can't make yourself righteous. Why? Because that's the work of Jesus on the cross. You come in your brokenness, you come in your insecurity, you come with your dysfunction, and you say, Jesus, I can't hack this life. I need help right now. Can you help me out right now? Jesus, like, I understand that I'm a sinner, that I'm broken, that I can't get through life on my own. And it's also like in this moment, you know, I'll use Jake's dressing gown, that, that Jesus comes and he takes our sin and he cloaks us in his righteousness. So now we have a righteous covering and a righteous standing before God. And my understanding of this verse is actually, James is saying anyone in Christ, effectively, is a righteous person. Now, I'm not, I'm not demoting the need to pursue righteousness. We should be. And I think we're probably going to do a small series on holiness after this series. Um, but, but really, if we think we're going to get better results because we pray that little bit more, I want you to understand something is this, is that you're not praying to become more righteous. You're praying because you're already righteous. We pray from a secure place, a place of position, not performance. So, you know, the skeptic kind of says this, uh, you know, if I pray for six minutes a day rather than five minutes, then God may give me an easier time. Not true. Not true. Or maybe if I pray for 15 minutes more or five hours tomorrow, then maybe God's going to be more fond, on, fond of me or, or maybe he's going to show me more blessing. Simply not true. You are either righteous in Christ or you're not righteous in Christ. And so we pursue righteousness, but not from a place of trying to attain right standing with God, but we pursue righteousness because it's already a reality in God's eyes. It's already happened. We have been transformed from glory to glory. He's lifted us out of the miry clay and he set our feet upon a rock. And so we're not praying to become more righteous. We're praying because we are already righteous. So I want us to think about this one minute. Let's get that up. Um, is not so much the righteous part of James's word, but it's this bit right here. The earnest prayer of a righteous person. Now, if righteousness is kind of God's responsibility in this equation, let me put to you that the earnest bit is your responsibility as a believer. What does earnest mean? Well, as I say, the Greek is kind of a jumble of words, but the intentionality... The total commitment to seeking God. Total focus and regularity. Daily habits. Trust me, if we pray more, it's not like God says, oh, I'm really impressed. Oh, you prayed a whole 18 minutes today. I mean, yeah, I sent my son to die for you, but hey, you're now at 18 minutes today, right? Some of you may have felt that this week as we were kind of promoting, hey, if you're not praying, do five minutes a day, please. Just get doing something. But actually, it's because as we pray, as we worship, as we give out of the overflow, as we bring our money into the storehouse, like Pastor Phil was talking about, actually, it moves something in us. And it actually changes and shifts something in our mentality. So we don't pray to impress God. We pray because as we pray, things move in us. It's incredible. And here James is saying, listen, like if you're happy, pray. If you're sad, pray. If you're sick, get prayer. But listen to this. The earnest prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Becoming regular in our prayer. Becoming regular 
committed, focused, bringing the best of our energy to this discipline. Yes, I believe that as you do that, it gets easier and you'll do it more frequently. But ultimately, you know what? It's actually just about doing it. Like, you want to pray a prayer that works? Pray a prayer full stop. You know, I think sometimes we think we've prayed and we haven't prayed. What we've actually done is we've worried. (laughs) And we think by our worrying that maybe God will hear our worries. And of course he sees it, but he loves it when we go, God, I'm crushed. I'm broken. I'm going to do something more than worry. Worry is not productive in the slightest. But prayer, prayer of a righteous person, the earnest, focused, committed, regular, daily, energy-driven prayer gets wonderful results. I want you to get wonderful results. I want me to get wonderful results. I want Sunny Hill to get wonderful results. So guess what? It's not about a Willy Wonka golden ticket that we get when we buy a Bible from Keith Jones and go, oh, I'm a great prayer now. It's about subjecting ourselves to the path of discipline. To say every day, I'm going to lay down my life. Every day, I'm going to pick up my cross. I don't want to pray. This is what I want to do. I want to watch cricket. Most of you probably don't. I want to watch football. Maybe some of you do. I want to go fishing. Nobody other than Martin Walker will do that one, right? But ultimately, I know I want to do those things in my flesh, but my soul thirsts for the Lord. How do you quench the thirst? Prayer. Seeking the Lord through his word. I think sometimes we separate these disciplines. Worship, prayer, reading the Bible. Let me just say it's one big discipline of relationship. I know the presence of God when I read the word. And when I really come with a humble and open heart, I want to pray. I want to worship. These things aren't divided. They are one kind of thing that we do as believers and say, when Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men, this is what he intended. That we would literally become like our rabbi. What did Jesus do? Jesus would retreat on a daily, regular basis to solitary spaces in order to seek the Lord. Why? Not to deal with the problems before him. That wasn't the purpose. Actually, those moments prepared him for any crisis, any opportunity where a demon was present before him in a person. He just moved in authority. When he taught, the religious leader said, hey, man, this guy teaches as one who's got authority. We're not used to this. We're used to kind of pointless drivel from the religious leaders. But Jesus brings something fresh and real. Why? Because he bought the manner of heaven and put it on plates for people to eat. All stemmed and flowed from a place of regular prayer. Actually, this roots back, and um, in Luke, we see something, and I'm going to go there, but it's not going to be on your screens, but let me just put up the holding slide for now. In Luke 18, it's amazing, because you think, Dom, is it really about persistent prayer? I'm telling you, the more I've been thinking about this, I think this is, this is where it's at. Luke 18, listen to this, verse 1. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. <laughs> like, if that's not, like, like, just there, like, plain to see. Jesus making a story up, creating a parable, so that they would learn to pray and not give up praying. Don't stop praying, right? And uh, he says this. There was a judge in a certain town, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. So this is kind of a horrible judge, right? Verse 3. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. Bearing in mind that a widow was kind of, uh, um, how do you say it, was just left in the cold of society, right? They were kind of overlooked people unless they had family to look after them. And so this widow has a burden. And she says, uh, came to him, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The verse 4. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, right? But this woman, a lovely man, 
Richard. You're a... <laughs> I'm just sensing a Richard kind of dynamic work out here. I'm playing. Richard is an amazing guy and he loves people deeply. We think. Um, he says, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me nuts, right? Actually, he says crazy, but I prefer the original text, which says nuts, okay? This woman's driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Okay, then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge, right? Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't think God will surely give justice to his chosen people. Don't you think that God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night, day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? Why? Because faith is spelled what? P-R-A-Y-E-R. It's an incredible parable where Jesus said, hey, there's this judge and he's horrible, he hates people, he didn't, he didn't respect God, he has no um, respect for the authority, for the spiritual authority, for the spiritual kind of structure of this city. Like this guy, this judge, he's just basically a loser, he's horrible. But even this widow woman who has no right or entitlement comes with a petition and a constant sense of pleading and begging sees wonderful results. Why? Because basically she annoys the judge persistently persistently persevering to keep going, earnestly showing up, coming day and night. Judge, give me justice. Judge, would you do this for me? Judge, I just want justice. Judge, would you do this for me? Now, now get this, right? This is like a hyperbole, right? Get this, understand this. Jesus isn't saying, and God is just like that judge, <laughs> you know, doesn't really care about people. You know, he's not saying that, right? He's not going, and you know, it's really similar. God's like the judge and you're like the widow. Actually, if you think about it, and I was praying into this this week, I think it's actually reverse. The good news is God is nothing like the judge, right? But get this, this is really important if you're making notes. But the bad news is we're nothing like the widow, <laughs> you know? And in this moment, there's this, I think, this penny drop with the disciples. Okay, well, prayer that works is prayer that's regular. Prayer that works is prayer that petitions, that pleads, that, that actually comes and keeps knocking on the doors. The good news is God is nothing like the, the, the judge, but the challenge to us is, Sunny Hill, can we please be like the widow? We don't deserve it. We're not really entitled to it in and of ourselves, but ultimately we come. Why? Because we've got burden and a vision for something different. It's amazing. I was even reading yesterday, and this is totally off script, but I think it's important. In Matthew 15... This woman, Gentile woman, outside of Jewish origin, this Gentile woman comes to Jesus and says, hey, I've got a child who is demon-possessed. Like, I'm suffering, I'm struggling, it is bad. It's like literally hell on earth, right? It is not good. And Jesus says, hey, listen, primarily, and you need to understand the context, Jesus says, my work here is first to the Jews. I've come to minister to the Jews, so my stage on earth is primarily targeted towards the Jews. Now, we know in the Gospels that Jesus deviated from that from time to time, but mostly it was aimed towards the Jews. And we read that in the New Testament, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. It starts here, but it flows there. The Gospels focusing on the Jews, Acts starts moving the Gospel towards the Gentiles, the, the Gentiles being those who are not Jewish, right? 
And this woman comes and Jesus says this stuff. Listen, I'm here to do my Lord's work, uh, my Father's work, and ultimately that is to minister to the Jews. But she keeps insisting and pleading and begging. And he says something that I think is really offensive. He says, listen, this food is too good for those who aren't Jews, right? This food is too good. And she says, listen, I'll even eat the crumbs off the floor. And because of her pleading... Jesus responds to her prayer. Why? Because he says her faith is incredible. Why? Because faith is spelled P-R-A-Y-E-R. The petition, the pleading, the constancy. So I was like, come on, Lord, come on. I need breakthrough for my child. I need it, I need it, I need it. And somehow, somehow, right, if we were to say that Jesus was executing the will of the Father, which was to bring a ministry to Jews, which he seems to suggest, somehow she circumvents. She circumvents in this moment. Now, I don't know if that was God's providence or that was always going to happen. And God's... But I just think that Jesus is so impressed with her commitment, with her earnestness, with her, with her daily regular petitioning and pleading that he's like, hey, man, I'll give up. You know, you know, your daughter is healed right now. You know, I just love that sense that, hey, you know, we don't know really, do we, the, the treasure trove of the will of God. We don't really know it. We're just ordinary people. But actually, if we're really broken about stuff, if we have a burden for something, then once things are short, surely we'll come day and night. Surely our hearts would break and we'd just say, Jesus, do something. And whether it is kind of God's will or not, somehow we're able to ask, seek and knock the door of heaven and see wonderful results on earth. It's really important and I do need to land this plane, I think. Um, but let's go back to James. Because remember that James is speaking largely to a Christian Jewish audience, right? A Jewish audience that would have obviously celebrated the Old Testament, okay? Because it's written in Hebrew. It's their origin. It's their story. It's their history. And Elijah was someone who was so prominent to them, someone who was so important to who they had become as a people. And James says this in verse 17, Elijah was as human as we are. I just love that idea, like this poster boy of the old covenant, Elijah, like James just saying, listen, Elijah, there was nothing special about him in and of himself. He was just an ordinary man with ordinary challenges, with ordinary limitations. He was as human as we are, but we read this, and yet when he prayed, what? Earnestly, that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. And then in verse 18, when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Now understand this, it's not like just God turning off the weather just to be a bit of a nuisance, right? Because I know most of us Brits think, that sounds great, no rain for three and a half years. But this rain was literally like God blocking up the bank account because agriculture was the way that people fed their families. Farming was the way that people made money. And it's kind of interesting because Elijah, um, under the authority of God, under the instruction of God, decreed that rain would stop. Why? Because the people of Israel were in rebellion. Now, it wasn't of Elijah's own volition that he prayed that, but actually, me and Phil were talking about it this morning. It's actually found in Deuteronomy 11. God warns the people, hey, if you rebel, I will kind of stop up the heavens. I will block up the rain. Like, it's going to stop. Like if you rebel and pursue false gods and you kind of depart from me, there's no blessing in that. Bearing in mind this is old covenant kind of reading, right? And so it's not like Elijah just hacked off and he's like, right, rain, stop. Elijah actually calls on a promise and instruction of God and we see that the rain stops. Okay, now we see something interesting play out when we pick it up in 1 Kings 18. Check this out. 
Here's the direct reference to when it comes back on. Now, it's kind of interesting because God at this point has said to Elijah, listen, it's time. It's time to bring the rain back. Okay, it's trying to turn it on. This was after the whole episode with the prophets of Baal and all that kind of stuff. And in 1 Kings 18, verse 41, we read this. Then Elijah said to Ahab, now go eat and drink. Ahab was like the ruler, like the king. And he says, because heavy rain is coming. Now, Elijah said that on the basis of the instruction from God. He had a vision from God. He understood that God was about to move. And so he went to Ahab, like the ruler of the time, and says, listen, get ready because heavy rain's coming. Was there any rain at this point? No. Verse 42. So King Ahab went to eat and drink. At the same time, Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, where he bent down to the ground with his head between his knees. Verse 43. Then Elijah said to his servant, go and look towards the sea. And the servant went and looked. And he came back and he said, I see nothing. Like, this is mind-blowing to me. Because God had given Elijah a word. He'd given him a vision. And Elijah was responding in obedience to the revealed will of God. Yet he goes and he prays. He takes the posture of prayer. He puts his face between his legs and he focuses with intentionality and energy. He starts directing all of his thinking, all of his words, all of his energy towards this outcome. And as he does that, does that he sends the servant and the servant comes back and says, I see nothing. Now, how many of us in that moment are like, well, forget that then. I must have misheard what God had said. God has promised something, yet I'm not seeing it materialize today. Like, uh, maybe I need a new prayer because this prayer isn't productive. It's not effective. And it's certainly not getting wonderful results. And we see that it goes on. Elijah told him to go and look again. And listen, some of you need to go and look again and look again. This happens seven times. Seven times. And for those of you kind of who study the Bible and kind of a bit more savvy maybe about some of this stuff, we know that seven is the number of completion. Like that's kind of what we understand that number to represent from uh, Bible readings and stuff like that. But ultimately to me, it just absolutely knocks me over. It blows my socks off. Not literally, right? But just this idea that God would say something, reveal a promise to Elijah. And yet even for that, Elijah would have to contend. Even that, Elijah would have to keep, no, no, go back, look again. God, you told me. You gave me this word. God, you, you, you showed me. You gave me a dream. Making this more personal. God, you told me that my children would come to know you. You know, it's, it's two things to find a regular prayer rhythm. You need burden and vision. You need a burden that just gets you on your knees and come on. But you need vision to be able to perceive what it looks like when you see the shift happening. Because ultimately having a burden without vision is just painful toil. And having vision without a burden is, I guess, wishful thinking. You need the two, burden and vision. God, you've revealed it to me. And I can see what it looks like. I've told the authorities the rain is coming. Don't embarrass me now. <laughs> God, you've you got to do it. Okay, servant, go back look again. Elijah, still nothing. What? What? Okay, Lord, come on, you said it. You will do it. You know, I've seen you move and you'll do it again. One of the songs we sing at Sunny Hill quite regularly. You know, we've seen you move and I know you do it again. He said it. Go and check again. Seven times. 
The servant doesn't come back and say, oh, man, it is, it is booting it down. It is raining cats and dogs, man. It is crazy. He doesn't come with that report. He says, look, I'm seeing a small cloud just begin to emerge on the horizon. I can see it. And it's the size of my fist. Like if I put my hand up like that, it kind of just blocks it out. But I can see something shifting. And because Elijah had the vision, it was enough to, for him to get on his feet and go, right, the rain is coming. The rain is coming. The rain is coming. And so we see it, don't we? We see it, he says, he says, I see a cloud, small cloud, the size of a human fist coming from the sea. Elijah told him, go to Ahab and tell him to get his chariot ready and go home now. Otherwise the rain will stop him. After a short time, the sky was covered with dark clouds. The wind began to blow and soon a heavy rain began to fall. What moved, what got wonderful results? P-R-A-Y-E-R. That's how faith manifests itself. The prayer of believers who show up day in, day out, night in, night out. Just saying, I want to keep going. I want to keep praying. I don't know what's going on in this world right now. But Jesus, you say that you will build your church. That's what you say. So that's what we pray. That's what we keep showing up every single morning, every single evening. That's why we'll do 24-7. And we will fill every slot happily because we get to do it. We don't have to do it. And we'll keep praying and pushing. And as soon as we see a shift, we'll prepare for the, the harvest. We'll prepare for the breakthrough. God is doing something in this hour. And so like this word has been heavy on me this week because I want to kind of just tell you, it's time to start praying prayers that work. How do you do that? Persistence, petition, perseverance, all the peace. Keep going day and night, day and night. Let's pray together. Father God. Yeah, Father God, we thank you for your goodness, Lord. We thank you for your word that God, just shows us how we're to live. I thank you, Lord, that your word tells us, hey, you want to get results, pray. It's not super spiritual. It's super practical. Just show up. Just bring it. Just bring your concerns, your worry to God. Allow God just to come and give you a vision. Even now as I'm praying, allow God to give you a vision of your children saved. Allow God to give you a vision of a marriage that is filled with happiness and unity. Allow God to give you a vision of a work place where you are flourishing. Allow God to give you a vision of the people that you're going to reach, the neighbours you're going to minister. Allow God to give you a vision of what that looks like because as you get that version, that vision and he gives you a burden through his word, listen, it's time to start praying. So Father God, we pray. We pray for vision. We pray for burden and we pray God that we would see the advancement of your kingdom here on earth, God. We come against every scheme of the enemy even now in this season to do with lockdown and coronavirus and we bind it in Jesus' name. We know that's our right, according to Matthew 18, to bind it in Jesus' name. And what we lose is we lose faith on the church. We lose, we lose persistence and perseverance on the church, Lord God. Father, we know that you're nothing like the judge, but God, we accept the challenge to become like the widow. God, we're going to come and we're going to annoy heaven with our consistent pleading and petitioning in Jesus' name. Thank you for your goodness. Amen. Let's give the Lord a round of applause. He's so good.